Hey guys, Tony Reed here. Now we all know spring is right around the corner and you're going to need plenty of podcasts on your playlist for those long hours in the field. The one podcast that I'm going to recommend is Farm for Profit. Tanner, Dave, and Corey do a phenomenal job of having a wide range of guests on their show. It might be anyone from a university professor to an estate planner to a marketing analyst. They even have machine repeat on there from time to time. Then once a week, they do a Farm for Fun episode where they sit around and crack a few cold ones and kind of get off the beaten path a little bit. And those guests may come from Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, or even TikTok. It's a great podcast. You got to go check it out. They're on all the major players, Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, all of them. You can even go to Google and type in farm, the number four, profit.com and read all about them. They call themselves the mullet of podcast. Go check it out. You won't regret it. That's farm, the number four, profit. Welcome back to the Straightforward Farming Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Reed, alongside Mr. Nick McCormick. Uh, we want to thank everybody who's tuned in over the last week. We've got some excellent feedback on our podcast. So uh, for two guys that really don't know what we're doing, I guess uh, people are liking it so far. So I guess we'll keep plugging away at it and doing what we're doing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully we're entertaining somebody. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, I don't know. This week I was kind of wanting to brush on a few topics Um you know, obviously, with you being a diesel mechanic your whole life, um, you've seen everything under the sun come through your shop. I mean, whether it's a catastrophic failure, um, something that you've tore apart on a tractor that was 40 years old, and you're like, holy cow, this thing still looks brand new inside. Uh, what's some of the things that nowadays when it comes through the shop, like, really gets your attention? It's like, you know, is it design flaws or does it things that are designed well? I mean, what's... Well, I think, you know... In the older tractors and whatnot, you know, the lion's share of those engineers, test engineers, whatever, were probably from an ag background. They'd probably spent some time on models previous. And as we move forward, you know, as talent gets harder and harder to grab, as industries grow, you know, so many of these factories and test facilities are in larger cities. So rural kids aren't necessarily drawn to that. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to get a farm kid to move to the city when they really don't want to do that, but there's not room for them to farm, but they really don't want to live in the city. So you're getting more and more people that are perfectly qualified engineers and they're good at what they do, but you can tell the actual practical application maybe isn't there because they, they didn't grow up with it. So they designed part A, it's in the way of part B, but nobody really cares because, right. well, the guy that's doing part C will have to fix that because he's going to cover up both of them, you know, whereas before we try, of course there was less things on equipment, but they tried to keep it simple, tried to plan ahead a little bit so that this wasn't in the way for that. Now you look under the hood of some of this stuff, it might take you two hours to even be able to see the valve cover. Yeah. You know, and I realize, you know, as emission stuff comes on and, and new technology, et cetera, that's going to fill up that space. However, it's just, it's very hard, I think, to, to find qualified people that have a super good ag background that want to do this, you know. I myself, you know, would rather have a C student that grew up on rotor combines and right. knows if you're cracking corn, you slow the rotor down, as opposed to an A student who doesn't know how to start the combine. Right. Because you're never going to get that background instilled in them. You know, I can't teach you how to farm if you show up at my farm at 50 years old, probably. Right. But if you show up at five, I can probably teach you by the time you're 10, and you can probably do it without me. Yeah. And, and you're seeing a lot of that trickle over in the industries, whether it's on your pickup truck or your farm tractor, you know, it it's definitely showing up now. Yeah, nothing infuriates me any more than when you go to take a part off a machine that by all rights should be a five-minute job, and now it's a two-hour job because there's so much other shit in the way that you got to take off to get to the one little piece, and it's like, whoever designed this is an absolute moron. I mean, that I, I that just infuriates me when that happens. I'm with you there. I mean, not knocking the engineers by any means, but, and there is a lot of stuff going on underneath the hoods of these new machines, but it, you know, I'll take the axle flow combine, for instance. Okay, so since 1977, we're going to make this awesome new machine. And we're going to make it as simple as possible. We're getting rid of the belts, chains, anything we can to make it as simple as possible. Now you look at these newer machines. It's like, could we put any more crap yeah. underneath the side shields of this thing? Yeah. You know, and, and that's not all just because those kids aren't rural, but they also don't have to take it apart, put it back together more than likely. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of dynamics that play into that. You know, if the harder you make it, the more it goes to the dealer, which benefits the dealer, kind of, sort of, but it also hurts your product, kind of, sort of, long term. So, yeah, that's to me, I've always thought somebody that would make a, an excellent engineer are the guys that are usually covered in grease from head to toe because they know the machine like the back of their hand. It's like, well, these three goofy parts here could have been made into one part that will do the same result in the end, but instead we got belts and pulleys and chains and all this stuff. You know, you're, I've, I've met different engineers at farm shows and stuff, and I could tell by looking at them, their hands hadn't been dirty very often in their life. And I'm not, not you know, picking on engineers. I'm not saying that made him a bad engineer. No. But that told me that the guy had probably never ran one of the, you know, they got dishpan hands when you look at them. It's like, now come on, man. You know, you, you ain't smashed the piss out of your finger with a no. wrench or not. You know? No, it might get carpal tunnel from pointing and clicking. But, yeah. And they're getting not knock engineers in general, but it's just like sometimes they need to take, take a step back and look and like in 20 years when that machine is, you know, still being, somebody still wants to use it, but now it's going to cost me X number of dollars to do a pretty simple job to it. Well, then it makes it unaffordable to keep it, and not everybody can have the new stuff. Yeah. I realize they're not in the business of selling used equipment, but in a way they are, right. and that more holds their value right. if it's better long term. Yeah, that's and some of these. It, I mean, it really does make you wonder what was going through their head on some of this stuff. I mean, you know, especially combines are the worst. You know, tractors. I mean, a lot of that emissions stuff. There's no way around it. I mean, that's government mandated, and yeah. You know, each company's maybe got their own variants of a def system or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's a giant pile of stuff under the hood that yes. I have no clue what it does. It's just there. And it causes many problems and sensors and all the shit that goes along with it. But to me, combines are by far the worst. There's so many moving parts, pulleys, belts, chains, everything on them. And, you know, it, it is an engineering marvel in and of itself. To build combines like it today, you yes, know, to what they what the capacity that they'll handle and the speed that they'll run, but man, some of that stuff it really does make you scratch your head. Well, I mean, like I said, and not to tout the axle flow, but that was basically the combine that combines are based off until here pretty recently. Now we're starting to to see them drift a little bit further away, but for the last 20, 30 years, everything kind of trended to look like that, trended to operate like that tended to be set up like that you know and it was it's very simple you know i realize yields are going up but do we really need a combine with a feed accelerator two rotors you know we're putting every threshing system that's ever been invented a cylinder we're, we're throwing right. it all in one machine right. now you got a rethresher on a deer yeah. and your work comes in yeah. in your return and it's it, like that's all well good and great till it gets two thousand hours on it and half that stuff's wore out and well now your combine needs fifty thousand dollars worth of repair even though you spent 45 on it last year yeah. And now we're going to trade it, but at some point in time, that stuff starts to stack up. And what do you do with all these machines that really aren't that old, yeah. but can't really be used for anything? Because yep. it's not economically feasible to put them back in the field. Right. You know, and the other thing that, and, and this is brand-wide for the most part, but it's like, you know, okay, a tractor's 300K or whatever it is. For 300,000, if you're in the automotive industry, the fit and finish on that's pretty nice. You know, you hop in a... In a $50,000 pickup, fit and finish is pretty nice. You buy a $300,000 tractor, it set outside six days last year, yeah, the paint's faded. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't fade off your truck, yeah. but, it, but it's about to fall off your tractor. You know, yeah. your wheels are black now, yep. even though they're supposed to be silver or yellow or whatever it is, the, pop, the paint yep. popped off and stuff like that, which really mm -hmm. isn't an engineering deal. But it's just, you know, you, I expect a little bit more for the cost of some of that. Sure. You know. Yeah. And I guess to me... To, I hate the fact anymore, and this kind of drifting away from engineers, is on like tractors especially, now it's a one-size-fits-all. You know, like on a new R-Series deer, 90% of the buttons in there I don't use. I don't know who the hell's using them. I don't even know what you call that, the implement management system where you click one button and it does all that. You know, are you really that lazy that you can't still just take your finger and flick the toggle switch? you got to hit just one button now instead of two. I mean, my biggest pet peeve in the world on tractor industries is draft control. Yeah. Do you know how much money has been thrown at draft control over the years? Do you know a single person? If you're that person, please private message us. I'd like to know who in the world has ever used draft control. Right. I don't need draft control. What I need in that situation is 50 more horse. Yeah. I've never needed draft control in my life. Think about all your little loader tractors and sitting there. There's $20,000 of electronic crap 
tied to that draft control. That tractor's getting a loader put on it yeah. and a bale spear. I've never needed draft control on a bale spear in my yeah. life. And that's what all those 100 horsepower or less tractors are getting used for. They don't need draft control. Nobody's out plowing with that. Right. You know, you want to give me options, you give me the, you know, the premier cab or the slightly cheaper cab or this, that, you know, give me one without draft control. <laughs> don't need it, not going to use yeah. it. Yeah, I just want hot relic up and hot relic down. A 560 had the best three-point there was, or two-point there was, because it was power up, power down. Mm -hmm. I'd like to have power down, but no, instead I got draft control. So on that rare time I hit a hard spot, my plow goes over it instead of plowing through yeah. it. Never needed that. Which, you know, once again, it's like half this stuff tailored off of Europe, you know. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know of anybody around here who still mold board plows. Now, I know there's always rules of the exception. There's somebody out there that does. But the vast majority of the people buying these tractors are not mold board plowing no, with them. No. And you're, I don't know what you'd be using the three point four other than, you know, a corn planter, obviously, but you're not using draft control on a planter. So, no, I mean, exactly. I'm like, that's a wasted feature that costs how many thousands of dollars that nobody's ever used in the last 50 years. Yeah. You know, it, it, some of that just infuriates me. You know, the other thing is, and this isn't really on the engineering topic, but it's like from an equipment side, when you start discontinuing parts and I realize you can't supply everything forever, but you know, some of these companies, I know they're looking at, well, we haven't sold any of these yet. Well, no, you haven't sold any of those. The tractor's two years old. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't have sold any of those yet. Well, we're going to start nipping that, these part numbers off. Well, next thing, that devalues your brand going forward. You know, it's like, well, I'd really like to buy that tractor, but I know if the hydraulic pump goes out of it, I can't get one anymore. So yeah. I guess I'm not going to trade for that. Well, that ends up hurting the dealer, hurting the brand, hurting the, the company in general. And I don't think anybody, there's some bean counter somewhere that's doing the math on that. It's like, well, we only sold one of those. Well, once again... You shouldn't have sold any yet. They shouldn't be bad yet. So we're nipping that out of the parts system. Next thing you know, you can't buy anything for it. Yeah. You know? Yep. And some of this too, where is the electronics and the computers going to stop? So like the combine we just traded for, it's a John Deere S760. And, you know, now you're even running the air conditioner through the computer. It's like, is that really necessary? Yeah. I mean, it, it, exactly. You know, I, I don't understand. I'm sure they've got a logical reason in their mind why that is. I just soon turn the buttons and, and, be, and be fine, you know. You take a mid two thousands Ford truck. The windows quit going down. Beat the dash because it runs through the dash. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's tied into your gauge package. The windows can just be a switch that goes to power. I don't really need them tied into my tack and my speedometer. I, you yeah. know, you get going so fast, do the windows automatically roll right. down? I, I haven't got to the speed of light yet. Maybe that does that. I, I don't know, but yeah. you know, there's some silliness there. That's like if you sit back and think of it. No, that's not a good idea. You know, and it's just, it's frustrating from a, you know, technician standpoint. It's frustrating from a farmer standpoint. I just, some of those things, it's like, hmm, wonder what they were thinking that day. Wait, they probably weren't. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's even going to get worse now on the computers and electronics. You know, now we're into prescription tillage. Yeah. And I can't knock that because I've never tried it. But, I mean, how much more are we going to fine tune this deal? I mean. Well, at some point in time, it's we're trying to build the brain out of it, right? So we quote unquote can't find qualified labor, so we're just gonna set it up so anybody can hop in it and set there and you know stop it if it's gonna run into something, but otherwise let it go and it does everything for you. And that's well, good and great. But when I was a kid, if you saw a mud hole, you just didn't go through it, you went around it, you lifted it up, skimmed across the top, maybe tried to hide it for the planter guy, Right. but you didn't, uh, you didn't have to have prescription tillage, and yet they grew corn all those years. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. I, and I will admit, you know, these corn yields today, I think it is hybrids. You know, I'll give that maybe most of it. But it's also, like I've said, too, the equipment nowadays is much better, too. Go take an old John Deere 7000 planter and try to no-till beans with it, or take a new John Deere 1795 and try to no-till beans. You know, it's a light year's difference between the two. So that's that's got to help improve yields as well. It has, you know, you know there, there's a lot of factors in there that, that have definitely helped improve yields. Um, like I said, there's a lot of things that we take for granted, you know, from the equipment side, from the green quality side, from from all facets of, of farm life, really, that have, that have benefited us. Some a lot, some a little, but that's all played into the average yield being higher. Yeah, yep. Well, and now, you know, these... Our combine that we traded for does not have this on there, but, you know, the camera's now in the tailings and everywhere that's automatically adjusting the combine on the go. And man, that just scares me to death what that stuff's going to be 15 years from now. I mean. How are you going to keep that working? I mean, yeah. they can't keep the windows going up and down in your pickup truck consistently. 
but yet this camera is going to adjust this combine for 15 years? No, it's going to adjust yeah. it for about 15 minutes. Yeah. Anybody I've talked to that has one of those systems says it's great, works good, it's fine. I can out-tune it if I'm willing to get out of the seat of the combine yeah. and actually look and see what I got. And that's and that's on us. Farmers yeah. is, you know, as a whole, we've got the point, well, if we can just get close, yeah. no, that's probably good enough. Yeah. And I think that's where some of this technology has covered up the laziness. Yeah. You know what I mean? When we were kids, you physically had to get off and adjust depth or whatever to get the job done right. Now yeah. you do it from the cab. Yeah. And so you're not out kicking around behind the machine as much as you used to be. Yeah. And when we were kids, we had cylinder stops. Mm-hmm. And oh crap, I don't have enough. I don't have the same ones for both sides. I either got to go too deep or too shallow. What do I yeah. do here? I don't yeah. have enough for both sides. Then it went to cranks. Yeah. Then single point depth control. Holy cow, I don't have to change it in one spot. You know, that's revolutionary. Yeah. Why didn't we think of that sooner? Now we're controlling it from the cab with a computer. Oh, wait, the computer quit. Now we can't pull our field call very yeah. anymore. You know, now we just wish we had cylinder stops. Yeah, right. <laughs> I tell you what, though, on engineering, in my personal opinion, one of the most epic engineering failures of all time, my personal opinion, had to be the 1086 International. Whoever, or any of the, I don't care if it's 10, 15, 14, whatever. That entire series of tractors. And, and they sold a shit pot full of them. I mean, they really did for... They did because they had a ton of diehard red guys at that time. And keep in mind, I'm a red guy. Not a fan of the 86 series. I just don't know how you can walk up to that thing as a finished product and be like, bam, we've got it. That's what we're going to sell. Yeah. The second you go to get into it and you hit yourself in the head with the door because it opens the wrong direction, then you're like, huh, those gear shifts are in the wrong side and they're in my way to get in the cab. Hmm. That seems like a good idea. I... I've said for years, the engineer that designed that, and I hope he's listening if he's still alive, I would have loved to work on his car. Because when he come back out after lunch, it would have shifted on the left side between the door and the seat. <laughs> yeah. That's where it has shifted, and it would have blocked the entire door. If they would have just put park to the back instead of the front, it would have made more sense. Yeah. So you didn't have to hump the lever to get in. And hop, in a, hop out of one of those in a pair of Carhartts with a plier loop, catch yourself on the lever, and end up upside down. That's a good day. <laughs> I'll bet it is. Yeah. I mean, it, which to me, them tractors weren't even comfortable to drive. I didn't like the way they set. I didn't like the way the controls were laid out. I didn't like anything about them. Well, so my theory on that is the test guy that did those, his legs bent backwards like a dog. He was five foot tall and his arms hung to his feet. It's the only way you can reach all the stuff in yeah. one of those cabs. And like I said, I'm a red guy, but it's like, at what point do you say, huh, our cab is this deep. Our steering wheel's here. Ah, hell, nobody cares if the seat goes back far enough. Ah, we'll just let it rub into the cab interior and tear the interior off the first day. I'm like, can we not put a couple extra inches in there? And, you know, the, the sales mantra back then was this thing rides like a horse. Have you ever ridden a horse? They do not ride that well. Exactly. I don't want to sit in the middle. Uh, you know, that's not, a, that's not a viable option. Yeah. I, I never could figure out how we ended up so short-sighted on that. I mean, and not to pick on... You know, the old times or whatever, because hindsight's twenty twenty. So you can always look back and say, you know, who's the guy at Deer that thought the Vision Guard cab was a great idea? Let's put a yeah. post in your way. Let's put a muffler in your way. And let's put the exhaust pipe in your way. We're going to offset all three. So yeah. 30% of your field of vision is completely blocked. Your, yep. count, your cab's round. I, far the as PTO I know, lever was as bad as the 1086 yeah. shifter you're getting in, you know. Yeah, I, I just, of course, like I said, looking back, it's always easy to pick on stuff, right? I mean, you can always do that. But there's some of those things, it's like, that just was a poor idea from front to back, and we kept it for years. Yeah, they did. I mean, that stayed all the way up till what the been the when the eighty four hundreds come out, like in nineteen ninety three, I believe. Yeah, so I'm not that I could be off a few years there, but it was around ninety three. Yeah, so I, mean, I remember driving one at the Farm Progress Show, and it was in Dalton City. I yep. think it's the year it came out. Yeah, you're right. It was that, yeah. uh, Dalton City was nineteen ninety one. Okay, yep. so it might have been ninety one then. So that was uh, not quite twenty years. When did the first Vision card cabs come out. I mean, it had to have been well, mid... 44, 30, so that had been... 74, 5? Somewhere in through there, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, you can't have bigger than size 10 feet. You can't get through the bottom of the door. Mm-mm. You know? And the whole thing was in a circle to me. That, you know, the, the, it opened goofy. It just... Uh, yeah, I, I just don't understand. But you, you can take even simpler things like that. Picking on the Alice Chalmers guys here for a minute. We're going to pull the kill out to run and push in to start. So the kill's sitting there beating against your knee all day. That's how an AC is? Yeah. They're, they're Are food, you serious? They're, they're theft-proof because nobody ever thinks to pull the kill out to start it. Well, that's not intuitive, right? <laughs> I've never drove anything past a WD on no, an AC. Not, not knocking your AC guys, but you're not missing anything. Well, 
The WD in, a, in and of itself was a pile of shit. You talk about setting Claire off to one side. I mean, <laughs> that was a bad design in the 30s and 40s. Well, well, on that note, who thought, you know, we've got this combine here. Sure, you'd like to sit in the middle of the head, but ah, we'll just put the cab clear off here to the one side. So you set over this snout. we got a stairway to heaven to get you in. And we'll just put the engine up there where you can keep an eye on it. Yeah. I mean, it was revolutionary to put that behind you and move the cab to the center. Yeah. Really? Nobody thought about putting the cab in the center till then. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's what's funny on deer, you know, the old 55 combines and whatnot. The engine was yeah. in the back and you pretty much sat in the middle of it. And then it's like they took a giant leap backwards and put the motor, which I've always wondered, there's a guy up around, I don't know if he's around Assumption or wherever. He's got an 8820 John Deere combine with a 35-foot Macdon Draper on it. I've always wondered how awkward that's got to look sitting in the cab because, I mean, you got to be looking <laughs> Three miles yeah, off to the right. You have to have a monocle <laughs> yeah. so you could see over there to the other side. It, it just simple things like that. Like, say, looking back, it's like, what were they thinking? But by the same token, times being what the times were, yeah. you know, they were selling them. Yeah. And, and everybody was that, you know, I mean, everybody the old, was that way. The 715 and, internationals and all that. And, and you only had so much time to get something done and so much money to do it, you know. In my mind, that's part of what makes the axle flow combine so revolutionary. You know, I think from the history I've read on that, that actually started off as a kind of a side project for two engineers didn't have anything to do. And they did years of research on that before international even knew they were doing it basically. I mean, they were doing it on international's time, but you know, the, the advancement through that, I don't know would have ever gotten done had any company actually known that they were doing it or trying, tried to physically do it on purpose because there's so much testing there that went on that I don't even know that you could, logically look back and say, yeah, this is the direction we want to go if anybody would have actually followed through with it. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, they failed a lot of stuff early yeah. on, you know, until they got the concept down because it was so new compared to how everything had been done. Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. For the whole time of combines. Yep. Which, what is the argument, and you, I hear this a thousand times a year from the deer guys. Well, deer had the first rotor but never released it. What What was the story on that? I, I, I have no idea what they're talking about when they, they mention that. They... I don't know on that. I don't, I don't recall them ever having the first rotor. Um, International was had been working on it since the 50s. It seemed like somewhere in through there, maybe Deer dabbled in it for like two days. I'm sure they bought it from somebody or well, stole I, it. I think they dabbled it. Of course, you know, there's so much cross-pollination of engineers leaving one company, going right. to another. Well, they know what the other one's doing now. Yeah. So they play with it. And I think it was one of those things. It's like, well, this is going to be 20 years of development. We're not spending the money on that. We'll wait till somebody else comes out with it, refine it, market it better. Which is exactly what they ended up doing. Sure. You know, and they're great at that. Yep. You know, they've made a career out of taking somebody else's idea, dolling it up, and selling it as their own. Yep. So, like, like a New Holland Combine, because to my knowledge, they've always been rotary. So, was there never a New Holland Combine prior to a twin rotor? I, I'm i not aware of it. Honestly, not saying there wasn't. Honestly, I can't tell you there might have been. Um, part of the reason they got to release theirs first, to my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, so don't take this as gospel, but... One of those was one of their test combines was sitting at a truck stop somewhere or sitting in a farmer's shed somewhere where they were testing it. And some IH engineers found out about it, went over and took a look at it. And of course, took their international harvester tools and left them and ended up getting caught. And that was the government stipulation or whatever is they got to release theirs first. IH had to delay their release. Is and that let, right? Let New Holland have, a, have an advanced release on that. To my understanding, I could be wrong on that, but I'm sure I've read that somewhere. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that New Holland was the first to to release. Yeah, they were. They were. I think they released theirs in '76. Yeah, and I just wouldn't have come out till '77, late '77, early '78. So I think that was why. Yeah, I I could be wrong on that. Of course, there was no Facebook back then. You know, right? Yeah, you probably didn't have a Polaroid camera back then. Yeah. So it's not like you were just going to snap a couple quick pictures. They're probably in there with tape measures and this that there, even though. It was a waste of their time. New Holland really wasn't going to be a, that big a deal on that. They should have let it go, but yeah. but it happened. I, are these companies still as secretive today as what they were on? You know, like I've always read, you know, stories where, I mean, these combines are completely shielded up, locking shields where you can't see underneath when they're testing them. And, oh, I'm and, sure they are. Of course, in today's world, I mean, it's so hard to do. Somebody's going to see it on the interstate. Somebody's going to take a video. Yeah, and everybody's somebody's, got a camera in yeah, their everybody's pocket. Everybody's got a camera and, in their pocket. And so it's so hard to do now, you know. I think... A lot of what they do is make it look like the well, the model the model that's current production, mm-hmm. and then we'll test it. It's different underneath, but we make it look like that, and then we restyle it at the end. Yeah, and release something new. Makes sense. To yeah, because I'd be curious to know on like Deer's Twin Rover how long that's actually been in the field 
you know, in some version or another. I mean, obviously under the wraps, you know. Probably a lot longer than you think, you yeah. know. But, yeah. you know, that stuff would be tough to cover in today's world. Yeah. And I guess, you know, as long as you're willing to scale it down. I mean, because I don't know physically how much bigger than X9 is than, yeah, uh, you know, a, a big comma. You know, if you can scale all that down and still put it inside of an S790, the same internal components as an X9, yeah. to demo it, you know. I don't know. It, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they probably can at some level. You know, it. Uh, like I said, it would be tough to cover. It's not like they've got thousands and thousands of test acres fenced in somewhere. You know, they're, they're traveling for that. They're going here. They're going there. Different conditions, this, that, and the other. You know, they're testing yeah. all that stuff next to Moline. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, I would assume, you know, some of that probably even takes place overseas, you know, whether it's Australia or even Brazil Absolutely. or places where you can probably maybe get it under wraps a little tighter when you're in you know, remote locations. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's hard to get too far off the beaten path here. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. Some of these engineers though, it, it does make you scratch your head, but I guess, I guess it makes the world go around. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it all come through your shop. I well, mean, uh, I mean, it, it can be simple things like, you know, how long did it take for front wheel assist to catch on? We tried to do it hydraulically. Yeah. That didn't work day one, Yeah, but but Deer made it that way for a long time. Yeah. You know, what was their first actual MFWD tractor? It was, what was that? 4960, wasn't it? Maybe or a 55 series was mechanical, I think. Or it could have been, yeah, I guess yeah. 45, 55. But, but prior yeah. to that, it's like, yeah. just little things like that. It's like, really? You think that's going to work? I mean, nobody was buying it. That's why they're so rare now and bring, bring yeah. such good money. They weren't buying it because it wasn't good. Yeah, that's right. You know, which translates now to it's rare so it's worth big money it doesn't matter who the manufacturer is stuff that wasn't good when it was new is worth a lot of money now because yeah. there wasn't very many of them you know i i would not go to the field now without front wheel assist or just flat out four wheel drive track i mean it just oh absolutely yeah no comparison compared to what it was it's, no it, and you know and it's funny to see how some trends are still trends because they were marketed well yeah. They were, you know, the 2 plus 2, I will argue, was revolutionary at its time. The implementation may have not been great, but the concept was awesome. A, basically a front wheel assist that could carry saddle tanks, which everybody was trying to carry back then, that turned really short, right? Yeah. And that, you can do things with the 2 plus 2 you still can't do with tractors today. And you for sure couldn't do with tractors for 10, 15 years after those. You know, yeah. they didn't turn short enough. You know, it took a long time for, for front wheel assist to turn short. Sure. You know, but... Since it's international and they were going under, and Case hated those tractors, they killed them off. Had that situation been different, had Deer had that, had IH stayed in business, had Case not hated it so much and they had to come out with the 70 series 2 plus 2s, we might still be seeing a variation of that in production today. Yeah. Who knows, you know, but part of it, since it was based on the 86 series, you know, it goes by the wayside. Yeah. That's one tractor I have never drove as a 2 plus 2. Never been in the cab of one. I've just... You know that I mean, there was a fair amount of them around here when we were kids. Yeah, I mean, you either love them or you hate them. Yeah, but uh, the concept was phenomenal. Yeah, it uh, they actually had a, a two plus two Magnum for a while. Really, never, never went to production, but uh, finally got restored here a while back. Have the power shift transmission, the whole ball. It was just a Magnum that bent in the middle, had the accordion in the middle, and it bent in the middle. No kidding. Yeah, I th- I think that it steered with the front axle some and then would bend the middle for extra is tight, that right? tight turning kind of like your road crop special yeah yeah 9230 or yep. you know 9130 9330 whatever i'll be yeah. done i think it'd be so cool if you had a way to get into some of these companies you know i mean it's hard to say some of the stuff that deers built over the years that never went into production you know yeah. they just got completely scrapped and thrown away before anybody even seen it and there, there had to be some neat stuff you know, oh, may not absolutely. have been may, may not have been practical to guys like you or I, but it would have been neat. It, to... it might not have been, but you know, was it not practical because manufacturing hadn't caught up to a great way to produce it? You know, like Ford Flow Cooling on a fifty series international, great idea, not the best implementation. Plastics weren't really popular yet. This that and the other. So there's like four hundred stamp steel panels that go into that and a bunch of blind holes and it kind of ends up being a cluster but the concept's great pulls the heat away from the cab anything sucks into the top of the screen you can see it instead of your front grill getting plugged up you can see it from the cab right it's a great idea but we put a hole through the radiator and put the fan out front there's a lot of little things looking back now that you could make it good with that didn't necessarily jive at the time but yeah there's a ton of ideas i'd always heard and i'm pretty certain this is fact that the original rotor design for international had the auger front on front of it. But an opposing team in the, within the company had elephant ears on theirs, 
and that engineer outranked the other one, so they ended up going with the elephant ears. Yes, well, the auger front was revolutionary. But they had it 20, 30 years prior to that, but it never made it to production. I don't know if that story is 100% fact, but I'm pretty sure that's fact. Yeah, that's yeah. I'll bet there is some stuff that would absolutely blow your mind oh, on sure. what's been. Remember the bi-rotor combine that Deere yeah. ended up buying? I mean, do we need it? Do we not? Probably not, but that's a super neat concept. Yeah. You know, and maybe it's too expensive to produce, but is it easier to do one rotor or, or you know, that's a bi-rotor? Or is it easier to do two, like everything's going to now? You yeah. know, I mean, do we need two rotors? We've been getting by with one rotor for a long time, except for the New Holland guys. But do we really need the other? I mean. Yeah, I've, I've wondered that, too, on deer. I mean, I, I mean, is there an argument there that you can somehow get better capacity or anything with two because you're not turning this big-ass rotor cramming it all in one area? I, well, I don't know what so, the argument is. Some of it is size constraints, et cetera. But you got to think on some level that some of it's just – we come out with something new somebody's yeah. going to trade for it yeah you know you were still getting from new york to california in your model t if you want to take the time or you can get there in a brand new ford power strip some point in time we just change stuff for the sake of changing it yeah so that people buy it because it's new if we keep if we keep selling s790s yeah, people get tired of that well yeah. i already got one i don't need a new one yeah but now we come out with the x9 well it's new i gotta have it so let's trade up for it yeah. you know some of that so there's a lot of factors that play into that and i'm sure that that probably plays more of a factor than we give it credit for. Yeah. I'm curious to see how the X9 performs this year, because, I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be out on, you know, a somewhat, I wouldn't know if I'd call it large scale, but, you know, the custom harvesters out west, people like that's going to have them, you know, there's going to be several people with them now versus the six or eight that they had last year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm curious to see the feedback, because, you know, the deer's been pretty tight-lipped on everything about that, and I'm just curious now as to, you know, we're going to get the real story now and see if it lives up to, to what they're saying. So. Yeah, and I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, even when things have been produced that weren't fine, they kind of get grazed over, and it, it's not quite the catastrophic failure that it used to be, even though in today's world you'd think it'd be worse because of social media, this, that, and the other. You know, if you find out, you can tell 150,000 people in the next 35 seconds. Yeah. Whereas in olden times, well, you find out, you can tell five people if they happen to be getting coffee when you go to town. Yeah. So word travels fast now, but I'm sure it'll work out fine. I mean, the testing process on that stuff now is is vetted probably a lot better. You know, they got so many simulations in the in plants and this, that, and the other to, to work through a lot of those issues for an overseas crowd. Yeah. That is one thing that drives me nuts on deers is the PIPs, the Product Improvement Program, whatever they call that. But it's like, would you guys just slow down and maybe hold on to this thing one year longer and get the kinks worked out? I mean, every time you buy something, oh, got a pip on it, got to do this, got to do We got a 9230 tractor, I bet it's had 15 pips on it, anywhere from extra shields being put on it to changing this and changing that. It's like, good night. I mean. And I think a lot of that goes back to the fact, though, that we're, we're so pressed to release a new model, right? Because yep. if we keep selling the same thing we're selling now, yep. nobody's going to buy it because they already yep. got one. So we, we release stuff prematurely when if we just hold our breath, you know, let's face it, those combines aren't getting tested to 4,000 hours. No, there ain't no way. They don't have that kind of time. You know, the window's not big enough. You're, yeah. They don't have a, the ability to do that. So, you know, some of the stuff that you and I see wear out in the field never wore out in the test bed, never wore out in the test machines because yeah. they didn't run them long enough. Yeah. And, and part of that is the farmer demanding, hey, sell me something new. Sell yeah. me something new. Yeah. You know, we're not talking Coca-Cola here. We're... You, they tried something new. We don't want that. We want the same yeah. old Coke. But when it comes to to farm machinery, we're as guilty as the industry probably because we want different stuff. We you know we want to buy the next cool thing. Who doesn't? Yeah. So they're so they're forcing it on us. A little, probably a little ahead of when they should. Yep. I don't know. It's sure looking like around here that track tractors are becoming popular. You know, when we were kids none around here you know that was clear back you know back then cat was about your only track yeah. tractor at the time but gosh i can name a dozen or more within 10 15 miles of here now and i'm i'm wondering if that's going to be the next wave in this area you know it, it's kind of grown and i wonder if you're going to yeah, see more I, and more of that as time goes on as some of that i think becomes a little more affordable and there's more on the second tier market you know the used market or whatever that's going to be the trend and i think a, the lion's share of that drive probably around here is just transport down the road yeah you know because big metric tires are from here to my house yeah you know whereas tracks are narrow yeah so if we can get the same traction and be half the width yeah well, and i think you're also seeing that it's coming together price wise as far as 
tracks versus you know tires yeah you're you're about the same money pretty close if yeah. you got to replace all the tires on a four-wheeler or yeah. put new tracks it was on. one thing when you're buying 20.842s or whatever yeah. for four-wheel drive but now that you're buying giant metrics well, yeah. those are pretty saucy yeah. so well i can buy tracks for the same money so I'll give me the track machine yep it's narrower takes up less shed space, yep. which is at a premium. No matter who you are, shed space is always at a premium. So just give me the track model. Yeah. It seems like maybe them track tractors, and, you know, we don't have one, obviously. Um, but it sounds like there's a lot more maintenance to them. You know, talking to Deer there earlier this winter, and they was going out to swap tracks on a, yeah, it was just your big two-track machine, you know. But mm-hmm. I guess they rotate them, take one off one side, you know, and swap them. Yeah. So they'll wear better or whatever. And, you know, you're always hearing guys talk about bogey wheels and all yeah. that stuff. You know, and I, they, I don't know, they sound like they're quite a bit of maintenance. Yeah, I, I would say so. The bogey wheel's the big deal, you know, and then, you know, for the longest time, you couldn't see the oil in the ca- in the in the bogey wheels. Yeah. So some company comes out with clear view caps, which is great. There again, who at the factory thought, you know, they probably don't care how much oil is in those. They'll check those religiously. They don't want to walk by and be able to see it. Yeah. Let's not make it simple. Let's yeah. make it more difficult. That plastic cap had to be every bit as cheap as the metal one. Yeah. You know? Right. Unless you're Superman, you can't see through the metal one. Yeah. Just simple things like that that are frustrating. That, you know, the aftermarket does a, a very good job of of filling the void for. And it's great because, you know, the aftermarket can have an industry to, to work in. But sometimes you sit back and it's like, who didn't want to know how much oil was in those? Yeah. Yep. I've always said that too. I absolutely cannot stand, hate with a passion, John Deere round bar concaves in a combine. For what we do, corn and soybeans, absolutely hate them. I mean, and... That makes you wonder, you you got, I, you know, what whatever the companies are, Kuchar, Estes, you know, all these companies that are selling these concaves for combines and that's, you know, just selling the shit out of them. It's like, you know, why is deer still doing what they're doing for combines in the Midwest? I mean, why can't that be changed? And maybe that maybe that's a dealer. Maybe that's the way our dealer orders them. Maybe you can change concaves from the factory. I have no idea, but I, I hate them. I absolutely hate John Deere round bar concaves. Cannot stand them. I'm sure you probably can. Now, on the red side, you know, if... Hybrids have changed so much. We take in so much more trash than we used to. So used to, you just ran large wires, pull every other wire for corn, you're good. doesn't matter. Hybrids have changed. I'll give you a, a for instance. I was out with a with a neighbor. Well, it's been, let's call it five years ago. Everything was going good. It was fine. Come up a little bit of a rainstorm. Sprinkled just a little bit, maybe half a tenth. So we stopped for lunch, had our lunch. Waited it out, it quit, sun came back out, let's go back to shelling. We only got like four more acres to go. Man, this thing's just a dog. Just doesn't, you know, boy, I can't believe that picked up moisture, you know, just with this little half a tenth of rain. Didn't think anything of it, got that field wrapped up, went to the next field, different hybrid. Shagged over like that. Really? Couldn't shell that next number. Couldn't shell it. Waited the next day, still couldn't shell it. When the sun was out, good to go. Had to put round bars in, couldn't shell it otherwise. It would shag over the concaves instantly. And so I think a lot of the... Since the hybrids are changing and we're taking in more trash and the leaves and this, that, and the other, round bars have their place. Like I said, I don't mind them on the red side. I think the aftermarket has better concaves, personally. That's, I'm the same way. I mean, and, you know, on deer, you know, you can't pull every other wire and this and that, like some different options you can do on the red ones. Or not to my knowledge, you can on a deer. I, not that I'm aware of. I'm not and, a deer expert by any means. I know on the red side of things, you know, on, on a flagship, you know, your concaves are only half concaves, so you can put a round bar in this quadrant and a large wire in this one on down the line, which gives you some flexibility. I don't know. I assume you can do that on deer, but maybe you can. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you can or not. I, I, I really can't answer that. We've always just ran the round bars and, you know, and, every, and it, that pisses me off too when you go to, to some of these places and talk to people. You know, I'm not going to throw my dealer under the bus by any means because I, I don't hear it from just them. It's everywhere else, you know. You'll have a certain problem or a failure on something and they're like, Oh, no, you know, never seen that before. It's like, you mean to tell me that I'm the first person that that has ever happened to on one of these combines, ever? You know, well, yeah, we've never, it's like, now, God damn it, I know better than that. <laughs> they never see that. I've uh, I've said that numerous times because there's lots of times I've never seen that when a customer brings something in. But it frustrates me equally when I'm on the other side of it. And the guy's like, oh, I've never seen that. I'm like, really, you're telling me. I'm not the first guy to buy one of these. You know, I'm well down the line. I don't buy stuff new. You're telling me in the last 10 years of production, guys running this stuff, that I'm the first guy that has tore that up in this particular fashion or had this particular issue. I find that very hard to believe, but maybe it's true. I mean, it does happen. It does, yeah. I I see it on the, you know, on the performance side and on the, on the ag side both. It's, 
it is frustrating, though, in that regard. So what's your thoughts when Joe Blow Farmer goes out, buys a new John Deere planter, case planter, whatever, and either doesn't order the John Deere meters with it or does and shit cans all that immediately and puts precision parts on it? Is that a bad design on John Deere's part or is precision just got something to sell so you'll buy it? What's your thoughts on, and I'm not knocking any of these companies, don't misunderstand, I'm just using this as an example. I, I think the aftermarket always fills a void, right? So, obviously, Precision's a very successful company, um, so they're filling that void. Apparently, there's a percentage of the people that, that don't want Deere's meters. They want the toolbar, they want whatever, but they're, hap- they're happier with the Precision meters. So, and that trickles over whether it's ag or beer, or not ag, but, well, it is ag, but whether it's tractors, combines, you know, back to the concaves, et cetera, et cetera. The aftermarket fills that voids, and you always think, well, why didn't, couldn't this major manufacturer come up with that idea or, you know, use that idea? Why did they have to have yeah. two farmers in a machine shed with a torch and a welder come up with it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always wondered that, which, what, John Deere bought Precision, but then ended up having to sell it off due to monop- I don't know if it was a monopoly or what the, the deal yeah, was. I, I think that was the the legal term for it. It looked like to me they got to open the cookie jar, see what was in it. Yeah, and take, around, take what they take wanted. Take what they wanted for it and <laughs> see all the ideas and then push it off to on to Agco. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I always claim that that's probably one of International's biggest downfalls. It's for years they produced a tractor, right? And it was it was good, but M&W took it to the next level. Mm-hmm. So all your little features, I think there was like, what, 23 or 25 things you could buy for an M. Is from, that right? From M&W. No kidding. You know, it was Sarah, It was over twenty. I'm certain of it. So, I think the aftermarket always filled that void, and I kind of came to rely on that. And I'm not saying Deere is relying on Precision to finish off their planters, you know, whatnot. I'm sure they'd rather sell their stuff than Precision's. But it is ironic to see these guys buy a brand new three hundred thousand dollar planter, chuck that stuff in the corner of the shed, yeah. and, and buy somebody else's stuff to make it what they want. Yeah, we uh, ran Precision units on a planter that's been, gosh, that was three planters ago, I think. Yeah. And it works just as advertised. I mean, it'll stamp them out like you wouldn't believe. But after that, once planters started getting so expensive, we've just run the John Deere Pro Max discs and whatnot. And I'll be the first to admit they're not as good as precision, but for what we're doing, it works fine. When I talk to the neighbors, it seems our yields are right in there with theirs. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and knock precision by any means, but once again, it comes back to the fact that at some point in time, I want to put money in my pocket. I get tired of giving it to everybody else. You well, know? Exactly. You know, you, so you want maximum yield, right? But what's really important is maximum economic yield. Yeah. So if I can do the same job with a 50 cent part that you're doing with a $500 part, I'm better off, right? Yeah. So it's finding that happy medium of this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I can afford. Yeah. And usually those are three very different things. Yeah. You know, if you give all the ground to one guy in the world, well, let's see, you know, or all the ground in the United States to one farmer in the world, how's he going to, how, what machinery is he going to buy for that? Is it all going to be precisioned up? Is everything going to be on tracks? Is he going to have Estes concaves in, in every machine he's harvesting every acre with? Yeah. Eh, maybe, maybe not, you know? So you got to find that happy medium of this works for me. I don't really care what the neighbor's doing. This works for me and I'm going with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, there's always something to sell. It don't matter. What, well, even what industry it is for that matter, I'm sure. No, mining equipment or forestry or whatever has always got something that's a tick better than what you got. And but I just some of that I just get tired of, and we don't farm enough to justify some of that stuff. I mean, we we probably got more technology than we could justify for what we got now. I mean, we you know, got row shutoffs on planters, I mean, you know, all your latest GPS, auto steers, you know, all that stuff. But for what we farm, it's probably not economical i mean you know so there's always a battle of this industry is pushing this this industry is pushing that so you know like from a seed industry twin row is great right yeah seed industry loves twin row because you're you're planting forty thousand. yeah that's great for the seed companies but the equipment companies are like eh, man that doesn't sell us any extra corn heads we'd rather you go to 20 inch yeah we could sell you a 20 inch corn head that's a whole other piece of equipment you don't currently have but twin row, ah, you're doing a 30 inch head. You don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You want to go 20. So there's always battles from this industry to that industry pushing back and forth against each other. And there again, you have to find out what works for you. You know, 20 inch corn might work for you on my light dirt. 
probably not going to be that good. Right. You know, and we're not that far apart. Right. So you've got to find out what works for you and, and go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. it. I, I thought 10 years ago this stuff would be coming to a halt. It's like, what else could they come up with? <laughs> but it just every year it's just more 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 and and there's been some benefit to it i mean i'm well, not gonna say that there hasn't for but. sure but like i said there, a lot of that is how much it is what you actually need versus what they have to change to sell you something else that right. you think you need right you know i can probably buy a random pair of work boots tomorrow or i can probably buy the ones i want yeah you know and the price point on those is drastically different yeah. right you know so and that translates into every industry you know do i need a leather seat in my pickup truck no. Will my butt still be attached to the rest of my body in the morning if I drive home on a cloth seat? Yeah. Yeah, probably will be. Yep. But do I like the leather? Yeah, it's really nice. Do I need air conditioning to, to blow up my crack? No, but it's super nice on a hot day. So, you know, it's all what you can afford and, and moving forward with that, you know. Yeah. And we've never been the type to buy a piece of machinery solely based on the resale value. You know, a lot of guys do that. So, like me, as soon as we buy something new, the first thing I do is cut the plastic off the seat. You know, and guys just freak out about that. It's like, well, I didn't buy this seat for the next guy. I bought it for me. And that is the first thing I do is cut the plastic off. all that plastic's not comfortable. No, it's not. And people just cringe. And it's like, you know, and I mean, it does not matter to deer when you go to trade that combine in. If it's got one little grease stain, you know, they they don't even look in the cab anymore. How many hours it got on it? Make sure it ain't beat all the hell, and it is what it is. You know. Yeah, right? <laughs> you're exactly right on some of that. It's like, how much do you save for the next guy? Yeah, you want to take care of it. Yeah. But how much do you save for the next guy versus, you know, yourself sitting on a plastic? You yeah. might, might as well have a 560 with a seed corn sack yeah. sitting over the seat if you're just going to do that. You know. Yeah. It, it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to sit on that plastic all day. Oh, that that drives me nuts. That is that is the first thing I do is cut the plastic. <laughs> it just drives me up a wall. <laughs> I don't blame you there. That it, that is frustrating. I, I always told me, I had a good friend of mine always told me, well, as soon as the plastics wore off the seat, I'm trading that some bitch off. And I always tell him, well, Case H has better plastic than what you're buying because, you know, it's lasting longer. I, I can keep mine through the plastic, you know. But I don't ever set up the plastic. I don't have anything new enough to have plastic on the seat. But I'm not, uh, I'm not setting it up. Yeah. But isn't it mind-boggling, though, when you go to a dealership as to what parts cost today? I mean, I will oh, never insane. forget it. So we run liquid fertilizer on our planter, and there's a little sensor that goes in the top of the pipe. It's got a ground drive pump, you know, that runs off of the tire on your planter. And this sensor screws in the top, and that talks to my 2630 monitor in the cab to tell me how much pressure, yep. you know, I'm putting on. And two years in a row, that sensor went bad. It's four hundred dollars, and it looks basically it looks like a spark plug. It's all yep. I mean, that's all the bigger it is. Nothing fancy to it. And come to find out, one of John Deere's big DTAC case deals, because the first time, because I think that we'd run the planter two, three years at least on the original sensor, and then it went bad, so we changed one out, $400, a little over 400 And then, so we put that one in. The very next year, it was bad again, right out the gate. And, and I always winterize it, flush everything out. I mean, I don't leave that shit setting in there, so I know it wasn't gummed up, nothing like that. It was just the sensors were junk, so... Take it to John Deere, and they had a DTAC case on it. And the way that they fixed that was where the the fertilizer went into the top of that sensor, and that's where you read your pressure. Deere figured out that if you take a piece of quarter-inch hose, and I think it had to be 11 or 12 feet long, and you just looped it all around that. and Coiled it up. Yep, just coiled it up. And somehow that it, it kept it from, I don't know if it was hammering or what the deal was, and it was tearing that sensor up. And yeah, we done be. that and never had a bit of trouble after that. But it's... It's weird stuff like that that you figure out, but it's it's costly mistakes. Yeah. You know. It, it's mind-boggling what some of that stuff costs, you know. For instance, you know, I think on the front of an 8900 series Magnum, that front nose piece is like three grand now. Are you it's, serious? It's fiberglass. It's three grand. Now, the aftermarket sells it now, fortunately, and it's, you know, well below that. But when they were producing those tractors, and I realize it's not current production now, when they were producing those tractors, though, if they had $150 in that, I'd be shocked. Yeah. You know, and I realize they've had them on the shelf now, and they may have to run another batch, and it's special, and all this, that, and the other. But I'm like, at some point in time, make it affordable so you can keep those tractors looking good. Otherwise, for three grand, nobody's replacing that, right? Yeah. No, there's not a single person in the United States going to buy a new one. Of no those. way. You know, for $700, yeah, you'll buy one. Yeah. There's a company out that makes one for about that. So there's just stuff like that. 
that helps keep those tractors running and looking good, which benefits the company long-term because those are sitting on a dealer's lot somewhere. The, the longer and better you, you make your brand look and keep going, the better off you are in the long term. And I think a lot of that gets swept under the rug, you know. At some point in time, I wish they'd have, you know, some of your basic, we'll call them aesthetic parts or whatever, you know, your little plastic shields on the corners of a magnum, et cetera, et cetera. If you make that stuff reasonably affordable to get, to buy, a guy will buy it. You make it cost $3,000, nobody's yeah. buying it. It looks like crap on the lot. The dealer's yep. taking a hit on it. The farmer's taking a hit on it. And, it just, you know, it's never getting fixed. The more of that stuff that gets fixed and replaced, the longer those tractors are out there, which I realize isn't necessarily in their best interest. Somebody's run the numbers on there. They've got a bean counter that says, well, if we nip that off, make that too expensive to buy, eventually that thing ends up in a salvage yard and uh, we can sell them something new. But I don't know if that's the greatest strategy. At some point, the better you can keep your product going and looking, the better you are off you are in the long run, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, it's... It would be like now if we look back and said, well, God, you know, every 7200 series Magnum we've seen just beat all the hell. It's like, why yeah. the hell would you want to buy one of the, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean. Well, well, why is it that you can find a 79 Ford that has a little bit of rust on it, but it's okay. It's not great, but it's not bad. But you can find a 2014 one Chevy Dodge Ford, doesn't matter, whatever, and they're rusted out. Yeah. Now, you would think technology has come so far, paint and this, that, and the other, that they would last forever. Yeah, I realize they're not. That's not in their best interest. They want to make it, you know, three, four, five, ten years at the most, yep. and for that thing to end up off the road. Yeah. But ninety thousand dollar pickup truck, I'm not really looking for it to rust out in three years. Yeah. You know. Yeah. A they, little ridiculous. Yep. And whoever come up with the brand of red paint that they painted Magnum tractors with ought to be shot. You talk about shit paint or, you, or whatever the case was i don't know but you can literally wax the paint off of them i yeah. mean and it's it's i realize red paint is hard to hold it is but it, you know it's so frustrating that you can find older tractors of different brands that'll buff out okay and they're from the 70s and you grab one from the 90s like well it's white yep there's only two kinds of magnums in my opinion the kind of need paint and the kind that have been yeah that's right you know but if you put good automotive paint on they'll take it yeah but they clearly didn't have yep. that. Or a lot of them turned pink, you know. <laughs> they yeah. just faded and looked like shit. You know, 50 Series International, they got all those parts from different vendors, and they're three shades of purple. Yeah. And they sat inside their entire life. You know, they were outside where they're in the field, but they never set out a day in their life, and they're three sh- three different shades. And that that is super frustrating from my end as a, as a grower, you know, technician, reseller, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, there's no sense in it. You know, yeah. the technology is better than that. And the paint at that time was better than that. Yeah. Deer's always had good paint, I've thought. I mean, they, yeah. they, they seem yeah. to hold hold They, they hold up. And I think green's a little more forgiving than, than yeah. you know, reg pigment's hard to hold and it's expensive and, and yeah. whatnot. But you, you look at some of the other brands and as well, you know, orange, blue, purple, pink. And some of them have similar problems, you know. And fiberglass, you know, throws in a whole new level of... Well, it won't hold or it doesn't stay as long as steel or whatever. But the better you can keep that stuff looking long term, I think the better your brand looks. And that equates to dollars at some point. Yeah, that I would agree with. Absolutely. So, well, I think we're about ready to wrap up this episode. Um, we've covered a lot of stuff here from engineering failures to the positives to red combines, red tractors. I mean, we've about made a loop around the horn here. So, We're going to cut it off right here. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back with a few more podcasts, so keep it tuned right here to the Straightforward Farming Podcast channel. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time.